Hello, this is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from a Revelation Timeline Decoded YouTube video series that I made in 2021. The videos were very low tech, mostly me reading what's on the screen, so you're not missing much in the audio version. The Revelation Layers Chart and Summary PDFs that I refer to in the videos can be found at www.revelationtimelinedecoded.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David, and in this video, I'm going to talk about the measuring of the temple in Revelation 11. If you want more information about the fulfillment of Revelation, the Revelation Timeline Decoded book provides it in detail, and I've included a link in the video description. This Revelation video series, like the chapters in my book, show how prophecy is fulfilled on the timeline. In the last video, I showed you how the little book of Revelation 10 is pointing to the printed Bible of the 16th century which was badly needed after the Antichrist beast popes banned and burned the scriptures, which were handwritten. Looking at the Revelation fulfillment chart, we see the church era of Saurus begins. If you don't have that chart, there's a link in the description where you can click on the summary page and print that chart up so you can see the fulfillment. The Church of Sardis is the second of two lampstands, the two church errors, which witness against the Antichrist beast popes during the 1260-year reign of power from 538 to 1798. This church era spans from when the Antichrist beast pope proclaimed that the witnesses against them were as dead in 1514 to when the popes were taken captive in 1978 as part of the Fifth Bull Judgment, ending their 1260-year reign of power. The meaning of the word Sardis is the escaping one, or those who come out. So it's an excellent symbol of the church era during the Reformation period when the Protestants preached the gospel and millions were saved and came out of the harlot church of Rome. The reformers didn't shed all the Roman church's false teachings, but they addressed the Pope's main deceptions, and they were heroes of the faith who boldly stood up against the Antichrist beast popes. Our generation should not sit as their judge just because we have access to more information than them. They acted on what they were shown, and they battled against the enemy, often paying for their testimony with their lives. Many of them were brutally tortured and burned at the stake for their witness against the Antichrist beast popes and the harlot church. They are heroes of the faith who understood who is the enemy of Messiah and his saints and boldly stood up against them. In a sad irony, most people called Protestants today don't heed the command given to them in witnessing against the teachings of the Antichrist beast popes to help Catholics see the errors of Romanism so that they have a covenant relationship with the Father through Messiah alone. Revelation 11.1 1 says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. People cite this verse to proclaim that Revelation is describing a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, but that's a false narrative. It's not telling them to measure a physical temple. Acts 748 48-49 says, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? Acts 17.24 says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Ephesians 2, 19-22 tells us that the holy temple is the ecclesia, the body of Messiah's saints. says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 
followers of Messiah are the stones which build up the walls. First Peter 2, 4-7 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. The temple of Revelation is the ecclesia of Messiah, his saints. Recall from the Son of Perdition video that the popes of Rome proclaim to lead Messiah's one true church, thus they sit in the temple, but they teach false concepts which are contrary to the gospel and Messiah. They have proclaimed to be God, to be Jesus Christ in the flesh, to forgive sins, and to provide salvation. Thus they are the man of sin and Antichrist. At this point in the timeline, the saints now have the scriptures in their hands to compare what the popes teach against the reed like a rod, the scriptures. Beforehand, everything was written in Latin as to hide the truth of Scripture, which testifies against the Antichrist's peace popes and his harlot church. Messiah is telling his people to use the Scriptures to determine who is the true Ecclesia, the temple of Yah, the Heavenly Father, and who is a false church. This is how we know who is teaching truth and is a part of Yah's true temple, and who is teaching concepts that are contrary to Scripture. In the book The Last Prophecy, Edward Bishop Eliot says, Martin Luther found a Bible hid in the shelves of University Library. It was at this time he met with Stoppitz, Vice General of the Augustines. Stoppitz told Luther, It is from the love of God alone that true repentance has its origin. Seek it not in those macerations or mortifications of the body. Seek it in contemplating God's love in Christ Jesus. Love him who has thus first loved you. Through much study, Luther was inwardly prepared to enter upon the work designed for him as God's chosen minister of showing to others what he had himself experienced, and the way was soon opened. He was nominated by Stoppitz to a professorship in the University of Wittenberg, recently founded by the Elector of Saxony. Then in 1512, being appointed Doctor of Divinity a Biblia, and having to vow on his appointment to defend the Bible doctrines, he received his vocation as a reformer. He posted his celebrated 95 Thesis against indulgences, affixing them, as was customary, on the door of the principal church, and offering to maintain them against all opposed. The truths put forth most prominently were the Pope's insufficiency and the true penitence participation by God's free gift now merely in the blessing of forgiveness, but also in the riches of Christ, irrespective of papal absolution or indulgence. To these he added other declarations also, as to the gospel of the grace of God and not the merits of saints, being the true treasure of the church, and against the avarice of the priestly traffickers and indulgences, and moreover, an exhortation to real Christians. Writing to Stoppitz the next year, he says, The abominations of the Pope, with his whole kingdom, must be destroyed. And the Lord does this without hand, by his word alone. The scriptures understood by and by lead to an army of people preaching against the papal tyranny from the word of God, until this man of sin is deserted by all his adherents and dies of himself. When Martin Luther and others measured the Roman Catholic Church teachings against Yah's word, they saw that it's a false church. They found no justification for a pope or hierarchy of archbishops or bishops, just the early church's fivefold ministry. They found salvation by repentance and faith in the Father who sent Messiah, not in works and not through the Catholic Church. They found no place of purgatory where people could be refined so they could go to heaven. They didn't have to go to a confession box with a priest because they have direct access to Messiah, the high priest. They found that bowing down to statues is forbidden. They didn't have to count rosary beads or pray to anyone like Mary, but only to the Father in Messiah's name. They learned the simplicity of the Holy Communion to remember Messiah's death on Passover, 
but no Eucharist mass ceremony and no wafer that supposedly becomes the body of Messiah. They learned that all of these things were strange and alien to the word of Yah, and they testified that the Roman Catholic Church was not part of Messiah's true ecclesia. The five soli in Latin, sola, means alone. Of the Protestant Reformation are sola scripture, the Bible is our highest authority. Sola fide, we are saved through faith in Messiah. Sola gratia, we are saved by the grace of Yah alone. Solus Messiah, Messiah is our intercessor and our high priest. Soli de gloria, we live for the glory of Yah alone. We're told to measure the altar. Messiah, our high priest, serves from the altar, interceding for his saints. The Antichrist speaks Pope of Rome, proclaims to be the high priest, and that Mary is the intercessor of the Father. By that, we know that the Roman Catholic Church is not part of the true assembly of saints, the true temple, but that they are an apostate Gentile church. We're told to measure those who worship therein, so we are to judge righteously those who proclaim to be Messiah's saints, to see who is following scripture and who is not. Measuring what leaders teach, exposing their falsehood, is not being judgmental. We're called to expose the deceptions of the enemy to help set the captives free. In notes on the Handbook of Revelation from the 19th century, Albert Barnes said, The command to measure the temple of God was a direction to take an estimate of what constituted the true church, the very work which is necessary to do in the Reformation. For this was the first point which was settled, whether the papacy was the leader of the true church or was the Antichrist. This is true not only in the pomp and splendor of worship, and in the processionals and imposing ceremonials, but in the worship of images, in the homage rendered to the dead, in the number of festival days, in the fact that the statues reared in heathen Rome to the honor of the gods had been re-consecrated in the services of Christian devotion to the apostles, saints, and martyrs, and in the robes of the Christian priesthood derived from those in use in the ancient heathen worship. To determine this and to separate the true church from it was no small part of the work of the Reformation. There were, therefore, three things, as indicated by this verse, which John was directed to do, so far as the use of the measuring rod was concerned. To take a just estimate of what constitutes the true church, as distinguished from all other associations of people. To institute a careful examination into the opinions in the church on the subject of sacrifice and atonement, involving the whole question about the method of justification before God, and to take a correct estimate of what constitutes true membership in the church, or to investigate with care the prevailing opinions about the qualifications for membership. This, as we have seen, would relate to the prevailing opinions on the subject of sacrifice and atonement, on the true method of the sinner's acceptance with God, and consequently, on the whole subject of justification. As a matter of fact, it need not be said that this was one of the first questions which came before the reformers, and was one which was indispensable to settle, in order to adjust notion of the church and the way of salvation. The papacy had exalted the Lord's Supper into a real sacrifice, had made it a grain and essential point that the bread and wine were changed in the real body and blood of the Lord, and that a real offering of that sacrifice was made every time that ordinance was celebrated had changed the office of the ministers of the New Testament from preachers to that of priests, had become familiar with the terms altar and sacrifice and priesthood, as founded on the notion that a real sacrifice was made in the Mass, and had fundamentally changed the whole doctrine respecting the justification of a sinner before God. The altar in the Roman Catholic Communion had almost displaced the pulpit, and the doctrine of justification, by the merits of the great sacrifice made by the death of our Lord, had been superseded by the doctrine of justification by good works and by the merits of the saints. It became necessary, therefore, to restore the true doctrine respecting sacrifice for sin and the way of justification before God, and this would be appropriately represented by a direction to measure the altar. 
In Visions of the Ages, B.W. Johnson says, It evidently then means that the worship of the church shall be measured. Those that worship at the altar shall be measured also. By this divine reed, the apostles shall measure the church, the modes of worship, and the character of the worshipers. After this explanation of the meaning of terms, the significance becomes plain. This prediction will be fulfilled if, under the sixth trumpet, before the seventh is blown, a corrupted church, corrupted during long ages of apostasy, shall be compared with some divine standard. Or, in other words, after 1453, there ought to be an effort to reform the church and to conform it to the New Testament. Not the traditions of men, not the decisions of councils, not the decrees of synods or conferences, not the decrees of any uninspired body that ever met on the face of the earth, but the standard measure is the New Testament. It was held by the papacy, which then lorded over Christendom, that the writings of the fathers, tradition, and the decrees of the councils were not only an additional measure, but might even set aside the word of God. The Great Reformation planted itself upon the principles maintained by Martin Luther, and the cornerstone of Protestantism is that the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice of the Christian church. Protestantism has not always been true to its principles, but it has always conceded that the final standard of measurement is the word of God. Martin Luther said, Let us believe the gospel, let us believe St. Paul, and not the letters and decretals of the Pope. Luther was asked by a Roman archbishop, Are you the man that undertakes to reform the papacy? Luther replied, Yes, I am the man. I confide in Almighty God, whose word I have before me. When the archbishop tried to persuade him to retract his writings, he said, Sooner sacrifice my body and my life, better allow my arms and legs to be cut off, than abandon the clear and genuine word of God. Revelation 11.2 says, But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. The physical temple didn't originally have an outer court of Gentiles. It was added to accommodate people who desired to worship. It's not part of the temple, though it has the appearance of being so. To the eye of the observer, the Roman Catholic Church would seem to belong to Messiah's Ecclesia, his assembly of saints, as much of the outer court seemed to pertain to the temple. But when you examine the Pope's and Catholic Church's teachings, you realize that they are proclaiming a false gospel and a false messiah, thus they are not part of the true temple. The word leave and leave out the court has a strong meaning in the Greek language. It's ekbala, which means to eject, to bring forth, to cast out, to drive out. It's saying to cast out, drive out, and expel the harlot church of Rome in any church which proclaims a false gospel and false messiah. Messiah was instructing the Protestant reformers to witness against the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church so the people can understand that they can only be saved through him. The Protestant reformers proclaimed that the Roman Catholic Church is not part of Messiah's true ecclesia. While Rome excommunicated the reformers, the reformers excommunicated Rome in obedience to the command in Revelation 11. The Pope of Rome was resisted and condemned as the man of sin, the Antichrist, the standard bearer, as John Calvin calls him, of an abominable apostasy. In Romanism and the Reformation, Henry Grattan says about Luther separating from the Roman Church, If we reform not, I and all that worship Christ do not your seat to be possessed and oppressed by Satan himself, to be the damned seed of Antichrist, which we will not be subject to, nor incorporate with, but do detest and abhor the same. Today, believers proclaim that there are 1.5 billion Christians globally, but that number includes Catholics and Orthodox Christians, most who believe in salvation via the sacraments, and that Mary is the intercessor to the Father. That number includes Christian cults such as the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. Revelation 11, 1-2 commands us to compare what they teach 
against Scripture to determine who is part of Messiah's true assembly of saints and who is in a false religion. It's not judgment or hate to declare that what the popes teach and Catholics believe is contrary to Scripture. It's our mandate which needs to be carried out with diligence and love. Catholics have been programmed to believe that the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church appointed by Messiah when the truth is that it's the harlot church of the Antichrist beast and Satan. We're called to share scriptural truth with them to help them come out of the false teachings. Revelation 1-2 is not talking about physical Gentiles, but spiritual ones. Spiritual Israel consists of those who have a covenant relationship with the Father through the Son. Spiritual Gentiles are those who don't. The holy city in Revelation 11 is not Jerusalem, as some people teach. Remember, Messiah is speaking symbolically. The Antichrist beast-led Roman Catholic Church tread underfoot Messiah's assembly of saints, which is called Holy Jerusalem, for 1260 years, 42 prophetic months, from 538 to 1798. Revelation 21-2 declares that the holy city is the bride of Messiah the saints. Says, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In notes on the handbook of Revelation, Albert Barnes says, the holy city, Jerusalem, was regarded as sacred to God, as his dwelling place on earth, as the abode of his people, and nothing was more natural than to use the term as representing the church. The measuring of the temple in Revelation 11 describes the time when the Roman Catholic Church was revealed to be a Gentile church an apostate church, and not part of the true Ecclesia of Messiah. We are called to apply this mandate today to the Roman Catholic Church, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, etc., to show them how their man-made doctrine is contrary to Scripture, so that they can enter into a covenant relationship through the Son alone. In the next video, I'll talk about the two witnesses of Revelation 11. Thank you for listening to this Revelation Timeline Decoded audio. You can request a free copy of the Revelation Timeline Decoded summary PDF or order a printed copy of the book, which explains it in detail, at revelationtimelinedecoded.com. I love y'all. Shalom.